Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. You know, folks, prayer... I have to say to you, is probably the biggest struggle that most of us will have. The biggest struggle I have, the biggest struggle that most of us have, is prayer. I was thinking this week, it was actually at the beginning of the week as I was getting ready to enter into this passage, I was reminded about when I first got saved. You know, I was a college student at the University of South Carolina. This was 1985. I went to a... Bible study at the university, and I went to the study and I heard about Jesus. And that night I gave my life to Christ. That was in April of 1985. And I remember those early months of being saved, and and I would pray and I would just talk to God. I would talk to God like I would talk to you. And I didn't know much about prayer. I'm a young Christian. And I remember my friend who had invited me to the Bible study asking me about if I pray. And yeah, I, was, I told him I was praying. And he said, well, are you asking God for things? I remember him asking me. We were, and I remember we were walking down. I can even picture it right now. We're walking to class. And the student union building there at the University of South Carolina is there. And we're walking down. And he's asking me, am I asking God for anything? And I remember my response being, no, why would I? I'm just talking to him because it was like I've had this relationship with God. And, and Ray said to me, well, you know, you can ask God for things. So that was like a profound revelation to me because I've only saved for a couple of weeks. But I look back on it now and I think how, how things have changed because actually when I look at my prayer life now, all I do is ask. And the thought occurred to me, you know what, George? Maybe you need to get back to where you were when you first got saved, where you just talked with me. And I thought, isn't that interesting that I had that thought? And that was like at 5 o'clock in the morning on Monday. And it really kind of ties in with what we're going to talk about today. Because the prophet, this is probably one of the most, in the Old Testament, one of the most spectacular events. There are several in the Old Testament. But this confrontation that Elijah has with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel in northern Israel is one of the most spectacular events, but it has a lot of things that are being conveyed there that I think we need to get a grasp of. Because here's the thing, for some of you, you think back to when you first became a believer and the innocence of your faith at that time and just the trust of God and just talking to God but then over time, when you're in church, you learn the lingo. Do you know what I'm saying? How to, how to talk when you pray, how to pray like that brother or somebody you've seen. When I say brother, I'm not talking about your family brother, but that Christian brother who's the epitome of a Christian. And, and there's almost like you lose something there and you find it difficult to pray again. And so we're going to be challenged here from Elijah's life, from this incident, about 
getting back to where we need to be, making a decision to get back to where we need to be. Because I'm going to be honest with you, we got to make decisions. Because a lot of us are like, we're living in two worlds. We want to do the Christian thing and be a church and be a Christian, but then we don't really want to, we want to be who we are in the world with our family at work or whatever. And, and a lot of times that's, to be honest with you, two different things, isn't it? And so what I want you to see here is there has to be a decision. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look, it's a long passage today. It's from verse 17 through 40. So it's about 24 verses long. We're going to take it in sections. We're going to look, first of all, at verses 17 through 21, and we're going to see about blame shifting. So let's just stop for a moment. This is something that you and I are aware of because we do it. Ever met somebody who blame shifts? You confront somebody about what's going on, and they said, well, you know, it's not my fault. It's my wife's fault. If she hadn't made me want to do that, or, you know, it's my daddy's fault, or, or it was my principal, or it was that cup master's fault, or, or it's my coach. If he hadn't made me do those extra push-ups, we wouldn't have, you know, and so we try to blame shift everything. You know what I'm saying? And we learn it naturally. Have you noticed? I mean, I've got four kids. And I remember when they were small, when somebody got in trouble. It was him. <laughs> you know? It's natural, right? It's natural. We do it. Well, we're going to see blame shifting. And let me be honest with you folks. When you look at where your life is right now with Jesus, and you're not happy with where your life is right now, if I would say, why, why are you there? Oh, well, you know. It was because of this, and, you know, and I went to this church, and, and, you know, they got to fighting among themselves, and they got to hurting, and if it wasn't that, have you met people like that in town who don't go to church anymore because, because church, something happened at church, and, and so we're blame shifted. So notice with me now, look at verse 17. It's interesting because Elijah meets the king. He meets King Ahab. And it happened that when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Ashtaroth, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, Not a word. There's what I want you to see about this blame-shifting thing. Number one, there's a tendency to blame others for our troubles. Just being honest with you. I do it, you do it. Everybody here has that same tendency. When God's trying to get our attention and, and maybe he's disciplining us because we're not heading in the right direction, we want to blame somebody else. We don't want to say it's our fault that maybe we're not doing right. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right now we see in this situation, Israel is experiencing a severe famine. Animals are starving because there's no food. And so Elijah shows up. He is the one who made the pronouncement that God's going to do this. And the king's response is, 
Is that you, O troubler of Israel, like it's God troubling Israel? And Elijah says, look, I'm not the one who's troubling Israel. It's you because you guys aren't living right. You're not serving the Lord. You're serving false gods. See, there's this tendency to want to blame shift. You know, you're looking at your life and you're like, where's the blessing of God? Why, why are all these problems happening? Why are all these difficulties happening? It must be this. It must be that. It must be this thing or that thing. And nobody wants to say, you know what? I'm going through this because I'm not right. That's really what the issue is. A lot of times it may be that you're going through what you're going through because you're not right. And in your heart, you know that. But see, here's the thing. Let's be honest, because I'm, I'm there, I do this. We don't want to admit that, because if, the moment I admit it, i got to do something about it, remember? The moment I know that I'm not doing right, the moment I acknowledge that, the responsibility of changing is on me. But as long as I can make it somebody else's problem, as long as I can say it's... And that, that's weird, and we're just doing what our culture does, right? Our culture is that whole way, you know, when you got somebody who's being arrested for something, oh, you know, judge, you got to be lenient on him. You know, he had a bad, he had, his daddy was bad, and, you know, he got whooped one too many times, and you're probably sitting there thinking maybe he didn't get whooped too many times, you should have got whooped more or something. But, I mean, you know, the reality is we want to blame everybody. That's our culture. There's a tendency to blame others for our troubles. Here's the second thing we see from the passage. The fact remains that we've chosen to live a double life. You know, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. You may not agree with what I'm going to say. I'm just going to say it. The church in North America, the Bible-believing church in North America, lacks power to affect our culture. And, you know, you listen to people, and they'll say, well, it's because of the culture, and it's because of this, and they're restricting our freedoms, and this, and this, and that, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, that all sounds good on the radio, but that's not truth. Because you can go around the world and see God's Spirit moving in churches. They have a government that wants them to cease to exist, but there are thousands of people coming to the Lord every day. So our excuses don't make sense. You want to know why we don't have the power to affect change anymore, to see people get saved? to see people change their hearts and follow after the Lord. It's not because we're not electing the right people. I'll tell you why. It's because we in the church, pastors on down, are living double lives. We want to be a Christian on one hand, but then we want what's every, what, what everybody else has too. You know, when I first got saved, you would come to a church, you heard about holiness and about being holy and living holy. These days, you'd be, it'd be tough to hear a message on holiness again. Do you know what I'm saying? Because we want both ways. And that's what's going on here. In fact, Elijah gives them a question. Look at what he says to them. I think this is amazing. Look with me. Verse, verse 20. Look at what he says. Verse 21. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And look at how they responded. It said the people didn't say anything. They were just quiet. There were no amens. There were no, oh yeah, let's follow Jesus. Let's follow God. No, no, they were just quiet. Why? Because they're living double lives. 
They're living double lives. And that's what's going on here. So Elijah is saying something, which is the point that you and I need to grasp. It's for me. It's for you. It's make a decision because you can't have it both ways. We want to have it both ways. I want to have it both ways, but we can't. And we've got to make a decision. The reason why we lack power in our prayer, the reason why God's not hearing us, listen, Psalm 66, if you regard iniquity in your heart, I will not hear you. Very clear. The lesson we've got to learn when it comes to our prayer life is it's time to quit playing both sides of the fence. It's either he is God and we're going to follow him or whatever we're thinking is going to help us is better. You can't have both. You can't have both. There's a lot of blame shifting, a lot of shifting of focus here. And the reality is it's us. So I want you to notice what happens. It's kind of an illustration of where we are when you have a double life. These prophets are there. And so God... God, through Elijah, sets up a scenario. So notice with me. Look with me now, verses 22 to 29. It's kind of a showdown. It's high noon at on the mountain of Mount Carmel there. Look at what happens, verse 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls. And let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Hey, that's a great idea. Look now what it says. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourself, prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took a bull, which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar, which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. He is either meditating or he's busy or he's on a journey. Perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. What's going on here, folks? One simple word, manipulation. See, here's what happens when you lead a double life. When you're playing with, play, when you're, quote, being with God on one side, but you're doing your own thing, you find that your spiritual life, and I'm going to tell you that your prayer life gets to the point where it's all about manipulation. You ever done that? God, if you do this for me, then I'll do that. Or, you know, Lord, I need your help financially. And you notice I gave my last 20 in the offering plate today, or my last five in the offering plate. Can you help me, Lord? 
it's kind of a manipulation thing that's going on here. We're trying to get the attention of God. Here's the two things I want you to see here. There's a belief that spiritual manipulation will gain God's attention. These prophets of Baal, how they worshiped their God, they, they thought that they could sing and dance all day and say, oh, oh, listen to us, listen to us. And then when it was very evident that he's not listening, they're cutting themselves, they're trying to show that they're worthy to be listened to. I mean, it's interesting when you look at how Elijah is mocking them because he knows better that what they're doing is meaningless. He's like, maybe he's on a journey. Maybe your God's asleep and he needs to be awakened. You guys got to be a little bit louder here. I mean, they're and you notice it's from the morning until the evening sacrifice. They're doing this all day. You know, we look at that and we laugh, but how much do you try to manipulate God in your prayer life? And you spend lots of time doing that. And all of a sudden you're like volunteering at church again. Because you need something from them. I'm always amazed sometimes when people come to church, you don't see them for the longest time, and then they're here. And they're like real active until whatever they're facing is gone. And then you don't see them anymore. What were they doing? Trying to get God's attention, get his acceptance, get his favor to help them through whatever they were going through? See, that's manipulation. See, when you live a double life, manipulation is where you're going to be at. Where you're going to be at. In fact, I want you to listen to what Jesus says. This is interesting. Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 8. Listen to what Jesus said. When you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. The heathen he's talking about there, he's talking like pagan priests, like what we're reading about here. He says, don't be like them in your prayer life. You think that God's going to hear you because you keep repeating it and you keep saying the same thing over again and you keep trying to manipulate him. That doesn't work, Jesus is saying. Here's what I want you to see. It's about the relationship, not the ritual. It's about the relationship. Have you seen a pattern here and when we've been going through here these few weeks? The difference between the prayer life of Elijah and our prayer lives, folks, is with Elijah, it was a relationship with the living God. For us, it's a ritual. So when you have it as a ritual and you see prayer as a ritual, manipulation happens. God, I gave more money. God, I'm volunteering. God, I helped that lady across the road in rush hour in Kerwinsville. God, I was nice to that clerk at Walmart. She deserved a dressing down, but I was nice to her. I held my tongue. Can you bless me? That's the way we think, isn't it? Or even if we don't think that way, that's the way we act. Manipulation. But I want you to notice the passage tells us about the power of God. How do you want, I mean, how you see the power of God? Let me just stop for a moment. If I was to ask for you, do you want to see the power of God in your prayer life? Now, when I say the power of God, I want you to get out of your mind what you see on TV. I'm not talking about that. But I am talking about, do you want to see God show up in the areas that you're talking about in your life? Answering prayer. Working out circumstances. Bringing healing to relationships that you're praying about. Do you want to see that? I want to see that, right? 
In this situation, Elijah wants to see the power of God in dealing with this sacrifice. So I want you to notice what he does. And this is, this gives us some clues for what needs to happen in our life. Notice with me verses 30 through 40. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seas of seed. He put wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran around the altar. He also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass that at the time of the sacrifice, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then fire, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water and what was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. Here's what I want you to see about the power of God. Three things. Number one, we see it when Elijah goes there on Mount Carmel. You have to repair the neglected areas of your spiritual life. You've got to repair the neglected areas. First thing Elijah does, there was an altar to the Lord on that mountain. First thing he does is he repairs it. Here's the thing. You want to know why you're living a double life? You want to know why on one hand, you want to be the Christian, maybe show up for church, you do this. But on the other hand, you're kind of like embracing whatever the world's doing and kind of going along with the flow there. You want to know why you're there? It's because you have neglected an area of your Christian life. You have neglected something that you used to do. You've let it fall out of favor. So you may be here that you're here and there was a time when you did pray and you did just talk to God about everything. But now you don't. For a lot of you, you used to read your Bible. You got the daily bread. And maybe did the devotion. And you didn't just read the story, you read the scripture that went along with the story. 
a lot of times there were areas of your life where you started to neglect. So you used to come to church all the time to hear God's word and to be encouraged, but maybe you're only here two times a month now, or once every six. That's how you lead a double life. You start neglecting the areas of your life. Maybe you're here every Sunday morning, but you maybe used to go to Bible study, but you don't anymore. Or you go to Bible study, but you don't answer the questions during the week and study it out for yourself. I can just go along with what everybody's saying at the study. No, you can't. You gotta study it yourself. You gotta grow yourself. See, here's the thing. You gotta repair what's been neglected in your life. I'm gonna tell you folks, the reason why there's no power in our life is, is cause we're just kind of floating along. And, and we want that to help us get along until we have to do something, until there's a crisis which forces us to do something. We have neglected so many areas of our Christian life. So many areas of serving him, so many areas of seeing him working in our lives, either through prayer or through the word or through just living our lives out in front of other people. We just kind of are floating along. And when, when it's like chugging, when there's a crisis, oh, then we pray, but we only pray enough to get us through the what? You got to repair the neglected areas of your spiritual life. Here's the second thing. You have to approach God with confidence. Look at how Elijah approaches God here. When you read this, you're reading a man who has a relationship with God. Listen to what he says here. He, look at what he says. It is amazing to me what he says. He says, O Lord God of Isaac, Abraham, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and I'm your servant and that I've done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that the, this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. This is the prayer of not some guy who's trying to manipulate God. This is the prayer of a man who knows God, who's saying, God, show yourself mighty. Do you pray like that? Do I pray like that? Probably chances are we don't. Do you pray and say, God, Lord, I need you to show up in this instance so that people around me can see that I serve you and that you love me and that you care for me? Do you pray like that? That's how he's praying here. That's confidence. Here's the third thing. You have to remove the things that distract you from God. So God comes down as only God can. Boom! Fire consumes the Offering on the wood, the, the meat, the water, licks up everything. Boy, people are saying, oh, the Lord is God. They're falling on their faces. God showed up. And Elijah says, grab the 450 prophets of Baal. And they got rid of them. This is what you and I have to do. you got to remove the things that distract you from your God. Because here's the thing. You didn't just neglect some area of your life in your relationship with the Lord. Something else took his place in your life. You don't even have to think about it. Right now, the Holy Spirit's bringing, yeah, this in your life, this in your life. This is what you're distracted by. Some of you right now have got to kill it. Something is distracting you from God, and that's continuing to allow you to live that double life. you got to deal with it. That's the issue here. See what he's saying? Repair the old things. 
Talk to him with confidence. Get rid of the stuff that's distracting you. That's the point here. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.